Good morning, church. We're continuing our study on joy. And this morning, we're talking about joy as rebellion. We're going to be looking at a part of Philippians chapter 4. So I want to invite you, grab your Bible, your device, whatever it is. You might even want to write some notes down as we're going to look just a little bit deeper than we have been of late at this idea of joy. So Paul, he, he begins this section by saying these words. In verse 4, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. If you remember the context of Philippians, Paul's in prison. And he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he doesn't know how long he'll be in prison. He doesn't know if he'll die in prison. And then he's saying these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And if I'm honest, when I first read that, I think it seems like Paul's a little out of touch with reality. It seems like circumstances in his life, he's just ignoring or trying to have a faith that doesn't attend to our everyday life. I mean, it's, it's, it's been felt by many a people over many a day that the call to rejoice in the Lord always, it just doesn't always seem to fit. 1973, the theologian Moltmann wrote these words that could be written today. He says, how can we laugh? How can we rejoice without care when we are worried, depressed and tortured by the state of the world in which we live? It sounds good to hear the promise of Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream that our mouth was filled with laughter, but we do not yet find ourselves in that condition. In our situation, we would rather ask with Psalm 137, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Or complain with an old black spiritual from slave days, how can I play when I'm in a strange land? It feels like we're in a strange land, doesn't it? I mean, more and more, this this life, I keep using this word, but it feels dizzying. 2020 is unlike anything else. And I've had conversations this week and read articles about how, like, this is this is not going away tomorrow. Particularly this COVID thing is, is a new way of doing life, even doing church. We're having to reinvent how we connect, right? It feels like a foreign land. And so how is it that we're supposed to rejoice when we're in this space that feels nothing like home? But I imagine when Paul was writing this from prison, from a foreign land, he also felt like he was in a foreign land. I've done a lot of work just looking within myself. And I've, I've noticed that in, in these, these moments, it feels natural to me as, as I see suffering or oppression, it feels natural to question God or, or honestly sometimes even accuse God. But it's not natural at all. It's actually us kind of taking the way that the world tells us things are supposed to be. You see, instead, when we know this joy, when we're secure in the joy that God has for us, then the natural thing for us to do would, would be to protest against suffering. If we know the joy that we are God's beloved and that he is with us, then when we see suffering, we should protest against that. We should protest the idea of oppression. 
Because that person oppressed is, is God's beloved. God is with that person, those people. And so we should really be a people protesting against suffering and oppression. You see, joy is this revolt against death and decay and those who are causing it. And our source of joy, the one who's with us, the one who calls us beloved, well, our source of joy is the authority over everything. And so that gives us a confidence that this is above all else. Karl Barth said that this joy in the book of Philippians that we're looking at today is a defiant nevertheless. What he's saying is Paul was saying, yes, I'm in prison. Yes, I'm in chains. Yes, circumstances are not great. But nevertheless, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And he's not saying that oblivious to what's going on. He's not ignoring situations. Instead, he's defiant to those situations because we all know circumstances call for us to respond to them and our response can be joy. And so in Philippians 4, we're going to look at the next three verses. And in this, we're going to see two ways that joy is this active rebellion. And also how these same things are situations where our joy can dissolve and we can lose sight of what God's doing. The first one in Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So I spent a little bit of time looking at this word gentleness. Because frankly, gentleness doesn't sound like a positive trait, really. Like it, it sounds like what you would do if you found a baby bird in your yard. You would gently hold it. But I, I don't touch birds. So I, I don't know that gentleness feels that relevant for my life. So I looked, what is this gentleness? There's this even more confusing word that started to come up, forbearance. But then there was this beautiful descriptive definition. And let me read this for you. What Paul's talking about here is this accepting others, including their differences and their shortcomings. But even more than that, it says being prepared to forgive. This is premeditated forgiveness. So when I read this, I thought of Ann and Durant and how they love to wait for Nikki or I with their Nerf guns. So sometimes they'll have these little Nerf gun battles and they have the ones that have batteries that are like super high tech that shoot a bunch of little missiles in a, in a row and, and they've got several of them. So they'll shoot all of these and then they'll spend 20 minutes gathering them back up, reloading them and all this. And sometimes they'll wait to just ambush us. And they'll, they'll have this plan of how they're going to get us and how many times they're going to hit us. And you can tell, the well, really, the joy, the premeditation of this as they find their spots they're going to shoot from. And as they wait in anticipation, you can hear it, this premeditated attack on you with Nerf guns. I don't usually attack people with Nerf guns, but I have premeditated attack before. I mean, you probably know. But there are plenty of moments where I have a bit of a smart mouth. There are plenty of moments where I have locked and loaded ways to sadly cut some people up. As I thought about it this week, I had to repent of specifically one instance in the, in the back alley with a neighbor lady who just caught me on the wrong day. And I unloaded, not against her character, but just on, hey, you're not seeing me. And she just quietly rolled up her window not wanting any of what I was offering. You see, we know what it's like to walk into a room, 
preloaded with with words that could cut somebody else and, and could elevate our spot and make somebody see us. But that's not at all what Paul's writing about here. You see, Paul anticipates us moving through life preloaded with forgiveness, preloaded with acknowledgement of differences and shortcomings and grace that covers all of that. That we premeditated in our thinking and in our actions that we have room for other people to remain who they are but still be with us. See, that's what joy does is joy lives with this gentleness towards others. And if we lose sight, or if we aren't attentive to this gentleness, the joy just dissolves. And here's the problem, then we are just rebellious. It's vastly different to have joy as rebellion. That that comes from this place that God is the one who declares who I am, and he declares that I'm beloved and he's with me, and he's establishing his kingdom. That can be our rebellion, that joy. But if joy dissolves, then we're just rebellious. And isn't that us in our fallen state? Paul ends this verse by saying, the Lord is near. And if you've been following around, we've said this is part of the definition of joy. It's acknowledgement and realization that the Lord is near to us. But it did make me think a little bit this week, as I've been saying that to you, what are you picturing? How are you picturing Jesus near you? Throughout church history, there's two ways in in both space and in time that people have most often pictured God near. And I want to invite you this week to, to explore both of these. As people have pictured Jesus with them and near to them, in space, they've actually pictured Jesus crucified. And this is something for us, particularly who are Protestant, as we have crosses, but often Jesus is not on the cross anymore. But there's something to acknowledging that Jesus was crucified, and in that he was suffering, and he was taking on weight and pain that was not his own, that he did not deserve And that Jesus who identifies with those who suffers is the one who comes to be with you. That's particularly powerful. It might be reason to even go find yourself a a cross that has Jesus on it, a crucifix that I have one friend who who tangibly is holding that as he prays lately, because there's there's a different kind of comfort that comes when we remember that the, the crucified and dying Jesus comes with us. The one who suffered comes near you as you're suffering. But there's also a Jesus in time that's with you. And this is the Jesus who is coming back to fully establish his kingdom, where your joy will be complete, where you'll fully know who you are and who God is. That Jesus is coming with you. And so for throughout church history, there's been great comfort as people have seen that, oh, God is with me. He's coming to establish his kingdom, and that is the Jesus who is with me. You see, that kind of joy that comes from the the dying Jesus and the returning Jesus declaring that you're beloved and being with you, that kind of joy can last, and so it's safe for us to be or to be gentle with one another.
The second way for rejoicing to last is in the very next verse. Paul writes, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right away, I want to point out what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying, don't worry about it. He's not saying, you got some stuff going on in your life, get it out of your mind. That's not at all what he's saying. He's actually telling us what to do with the things that worry us. If we've had a chance to have a cup of coffee or talk at any length, you know that I have seasons that are incredibly filled with anxiety. And I've come to a place now as I grow in who I am in Christ that I'm not ashamed of that. But instead, I've learned to be able to name my anxieties. And I'm able to name, most often, the very situations that I'm anxious about. And that is me trying to live out this, this verse. Let, let me try to explain it this way. We've got a few trees in the backyard. These, these three bigger trees that are, are dropping all their leaves. And this year, that's Durant's job. Durant gets to rake up the leaves. And about once a week, I'm like, hey, Durant, you got to have that done by the weekend. And he says, yeah, I'll go have that done. And he fills up like 10 bags full of leaves. And then the next week, he does it again. And just this afternoon, he was out there and he said, Dad, I think this is the last of it. There's no more trees above. I think when I'm done here, we're finally done for the fall. And in the meantime, he's filled about 50 bags of leaves, it feels like, right? And throughout the question has been like, can I just leave it? Can't we just leave all of these leaves? But if we leave the leaves, it's no longer a backyard. It's no longer the place that we can play soccer and basketball and all these kind of things. Instead, it's just this pile of wet, soggy, decaying leaves. And so he rakes it up over and over again, puts them in the bags, and then puts the bags in the alley. Here's, here's my point. Paul tells us, don't worry about anything. But in prayer and in supplication, gather together the things that make you anxious, the things that you worry about. Gather them together and bring them to Jesus. Like Duran is raking up the leaves and putting them in a bag and putting them in the alley. Take together the thoughts and worries and emotions that you have and bring them to the feet of Jesus. And just like in our backyard, they drop from the same tree over and over. And if you keep having the same anxiety return, that doesn't mean that you have failed or that God is not powerful. That just means that, again, we have the opportunity to, to lean on the grace of God, gather together the things that worry us, and lay them at the feet of Jesus. That's what we get to do. And we do that in thanksgiving. Thankful that we have somewhere holy to place these things. That these anxieties don't just run in our minds. Or they're not just simply something that we share with a friend, though that can be very healing. But they're, they're the very things that we bring to God in prayer. And say, hey, here's what I know and here's what I don't know. And I need your grace. Would you please free my mind? So I may know your joy. See, if we don't do that, if we just leave the leaves, if we just leave our anxiety all over, that joy will dissipate. That joy will be buried beneath the worry and anxieties of this world. And yet that joy is how we rebel against those very things. Look, look at what Paul does next in line with both of these things. I don't know if you've read this verse this way before. I, I'm sure that you've heard it. He says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God, we know this is the shalom of God. This is, this is the wholeness, the restoration of you, but also of your family, of your community. This is the coming of God's kingdom. May this peace of God, which transcends all of our understanding, it doesn't make sense to us because it's so big and vast and good. He says this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the word guard is, is a military thing. In Philippi, there was a military presence who guarded the emperor's interests and they guarded it with their lives. Their very task was to risk everything to protect the interests of the emperor. And what we see here, Paul is saying the interest of the king is that God's shalom would be in you and in me, and that shalom will pr protect you. So that, as we've seen in, in John, that Jesus' joy may be complete in you. How is he protecting you? He's protecting your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's why this is so powerful to me. Your heart is the very place where this gentleness is developed, right? As you live out this rebellious joy, this gentleness where you are predetermined to forgive everybody you run across, well, that develops within your heart. And the very things that attach that and callous your heart, God's peace is protecting your heart so that that joy can flourish. But it's not just your heart, it's your mind. The place where your worries exist, the place where your anxieties exist. God is not just leaving you to collect them together and lay them before you. Yes, he's actively involved in that. It is your task to bring those to Jesus, but his peace, which surpasses all of our understanding, protects, it guards our minds. You see, you may have spent four times bringing the same anxieties to God this fall. But at some point, there's going to be no more of that left. And maybe your anxieties change, or maybe you have a season where there's, there's less of that. But God's peace, it protects, and it guards so that your joy can remain. So that you can know that you know that you know that you are God's beloved, no matter what anxieties are on the ground. No matter what wrongs you encounter during the day, you know that you know that you know that God is with you. I remember one of the last times that we sang together in person last winter. It wasn't even a full song, but the refrain of nobody's going to steal my joy was being sung in different corners of the room. I've been thinking about that this week. And as the song says, the, the world didn't give it to me. Nobody's going to steal my joy because they're not the ones who gave it to me. And that's some of the hope that I hope that you feel today. You see the happiness that comes from an Amazon package or from the grocery store or from a certain politician. They, they can take that away. Because that package could be stolen or the food could rot or the politician could disappoint. But this joy that's set by Christ, nothing can steal it. 
Nothing can take it away. Nothing can distract us from it. As anxieties and worries come, that's fine. We gather them up, bring them to God, and then we rejoice in the Lord always. As wrongs come towards us, suffering comes towards us, okay, well, we are preloaded to forgive. We have chosen ahead of time that we're going to march into this life with grace. And so we encounter people like that. And just when we feel like we can't do it again, we remember God is with us. And so like Paul, like the theologian Moltmann, we might feel like we're in a foreign land, but we can rejoice in the Lord always because he said so. If we live like this, that is a position of defiance to the systems and structures of this world that try to tell us to be defeated, discouraged, to try to tell us to hate one another, to be divided, to cancel one another out. No, we are not going to be a people like that. One church will not be that. Instead, we're going to be a people who forgive. We're going to be a people who reconcile, who experience the wholeness of God, and we will live in rebellion towards the suffering. We'll live in defiance towards decay. And we'll know the joy of the Lord.